Good morning and welcome to another edition of I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, and uh, thrilled you're joining us for another edition. And uh, for those of you who are new to the show or new to the uh, podcast, ideally, I Communicate is really about helping people through communication challenges, whether that be in leadership, in the workplace, and navigating the different relationships you have of managing up, down, and sideways, whether it's in sales, interacting with your clients and prospects, whether it's in company culture and team building and internal communication, whether it's in your personal life with your family, whether it's on the athletic court or field. Bottom line is I Communicate is helping people problem solve different communication challenges they have over the different personal and professional aspects of their life. In today's show, we're going to talk about uh, one of the oldest topics in sales, which is rapport building. And hopefully I'm going to give you a really different spin and perspective on strategies and ways you can be more effective at rapport building. And, you know, I want to share a, a, an interesting anecdote that I experienced a couple of years ago. I was, was hired by a company who had asked me to train their national and international sales teams. And one of the things I do when I'm doing a long-term training for a company is I ask to review the current training materials they have and what they use to onboard and train internally. And I do that for a couple of reasons. You know, one of them is because I want to get familiar with the company and what they prioritize and what, what information the sales team may already know so I avoid being redundant. But I also want to kind of understand where I can complement and add value in addition to what's already been done. And with this particular company in question, what, what kind of caught my attention is they had this training manual. And the sales process was broken down into five or six steps. And one of the steps, the first step, was rapport building. And it struck me as I was reading this manual, I said, it's interesting that rapport building is described as a step in the sales process. Because when I think about the word rapport, how do you build rapport with a human? Forget sales. Let's, let's, let's leave sales for a moment. You know, how do you build rapport with someone? When do you know you've built rapport with someone? I mean, is rapport as simple as meeting a stranger in a supermarket? And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I was wearing a, a sports shirt the other day. Guy walked by me and said, I love your shirt. And we ended up having a conversation for a couple of minutes does that mean we built rapport? Does that mean we're friends? And so I think we need to take a step back and understand the purpose of building rapport in the sales process. And see, to me, everybody talks about relationships and the importance of relationship development and relationship building. And the way rapport, to me, intersects with relationship building is you're finding common ground. You're finding connecting points you're finding opportunities to find commonalities and things that resonate between you and another person. So it's got to be authentic. It's got to be genuine. But it's not a stage in the sales process. Because what happens if you look at it as not only a stage, but the initial stage in the sales process, but what happens if the person you're trying to strike up a conversation and get to know a little bit is in a rush? And they don't have time to talk to you. And let's face it, this is every salesperson's fear is time. And what they're worried about is when they're not talking about their product, 
the features, the benefits, and whatever agenda or PowerPoint or whatever they've designed to talk to a client or prospect about, the client or prospect maybe give them maybe will give a very short window of time to discuss these things. And so therein lies the problem. If you've only given me 20 or 30 minutes of your time, rapport isn't going to close the deal, right? That's what we tell ourselves. It's not like if we strike up a conversation and exchange pleasantries, they're going to do business with me. They have to like the product. They have to believe it's going to solve problems. But that's, that's the rub. It does. Rapport building paves the way to you being different and you not sounding like every other salesperson. So when you, when you treat time as the enemy, and when you have time as an enemy, and the first thing to go when you have to whittle something away that's not going to fit in is rapport building. Because we tell ourselves as salespeople that I'm not going to use my time for that. That's not going to make the deal. But here's what we forget. When people are in a rush and they allocate a certain amount of time, what they're saying to you is, you better add value. I'm only going to give you a limited time to protect myself, to protect my investment, to make sure you're adding value. Because I'm not going to give you an hour because if after 20 or 30 minutes you haven't added value, then I don't want to talk to you anymore. So one of the reasons people become very rigid in the time they allocate salespeople is because they're skeptical. They don't want someone to go on and on and not be interesting and not be engaging and not be valuable. So they, they put strict parameters on the time. But see, what you'll find happen sales is if you're dealing in a situation like that and then all of a sudden they see you're adding value. They see you're trying to understand their wants and needs. They, they see that you're trying to create a seamless buying experience for them. Then maybe you do the rapport building, you start the rapport building. Maybe you don't do it in the very beginning, but maybe you end up doing it a half hour into the discussion or 20 minutes into the discussion. So I think there's two key things to remember. One, if you're a younger salesperson or more inexperienced salesperson, it's not a stage. And it doesn't only happen at the beginning, right? And so there are various ways to build rapport, but we have to remember, I don't care how long you've been in sales, if time is your enemy and, and rapport building is the first thing that gets eliminated when people put time parameters, it doesn't mean not to do it at all. It just means not to do it in the beginning while you're proving your value and your worth and why they should continue to listen to you. And that's such an important concept, right? And, and you know what I'm finding? I'm, I'm hearing more and more from salespeople that even if they're seasoned, experienced salespeople or they're newer salespeople, they, talk, they tell me that sometimes rapport building feels a little awkward, feels a little forced. And that's interesting, right? Because if someone walks in, and picture this scenario, someone walks in into an in-person sales situation. Let's say it's a retail situation. And the person says, walks in your store. Let's say you own a store. And you say, well, how can I help you today? And the person says, well, I'm here to look for windows. I need new windows for my home. Well, now they've told you what you want and need. And many salespeople tend to get sucked in. Because once you ask the question, how can I help you? You're going to get an answer. And if you're an inside salesperson, you're talking on the phone receiving inbound calls, 
and you ask the question, what can I do for you, how I can help you, people are going to answer the question you're asked. But that doesn't mean when they answer the question, you need to become a salesperson and you need to go into a script or an agenda or routine or a plan for what you're going to do now that they've answered the question. And see, what's interesting to me is if someone called me who, in an inbound way who had interest in training and they said, geez, Mark, you know, uh, one of my colleagues uh, suggested I reach out to you to talk a little bit about training. And I said something along the lines of, well, what, what seems to be, you know, what prompted the call? What seems to be some of the challenges you're facing? Or is it just that you want to reward your employees for their hard work and loyalty and commitment and, and treat it as a perk? But let's take the former. And the former is, you know, what prompted you to reach out? And they say, well, you know, we're having some problems with departmental communication or cross-departmental communication. See, this is where salespeople go wrong. Now is a perfect opportunity to build a relationship and make a connection. So when someone tells you what the problem is, instead of going into how you solve the problem and how your benefits or features can solve the problem, what I want you to do is, well, first of all, I really appreciate the call. And how long have you been in learning and development? How long have you been with the company? It's great to hear from you. Just start asking them some questions about themselves to show you care and you're engaged in learning about who you're talking to more so than the company and their willingness to buy. And so that is a key juncture in a sales interaction when it feels obvious to go to a sales process or to go to what I refer to as logistical questions. And when I come back from the first break, I'm going to expand on what I'm talking about, about going to logistical questions as opposed to beginning the rapport building process. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll continue with sales strategies around rapport building after the break. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Glad you're staying with us. We've been talking about strategies around rapport building and I talked about that critical moment in the sales interaction when you've asked a question and they've answered it and you're going to go to logistical questions. And here's what I mean by logistical questions. If you're selling a product, logistical questions are questions you would ask to determine which product is the right fit to the customer. Now, as a salesperson, you're not going to forget to ask those questions. You're trained. It's, it's constantly reinforced the importance of asking those questions. You need to ask those questions so the customer service team can support your, your client. You need to ask those questions perhaps for marketing purposes. You need to ask those questions to understand what's the right fit. And the same goes for a service. If you're selling a service, you might ask logistical questions to understand what, what service is the right fit for them. I don't want you to do that. Because you see, once you start asking logistical questions, now you sound like every other salesperson. And one of the things I try really hard to do is I don't want people to see me as a salesperson. So many people have such a negative connotation of the word sales. I don't want to sound salesy. 
I don't want to look salesy. I don't want to ask questions in the beginning that every salesperson asks that are going to make me sound like everybody else. I'm so mindful and so self-aware to change people's perceptions right out of the gate. Because we all make snap judgments, right? We all look at someone, people can deny, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be judgmental, but we're in such a rush all the time to protect ourselves, to protect our psyche, we make these snap judgments. So I am so mindful not to sound like everybody else or, or like bad salespeople they've dealt with in the past. And see, to me, you know, one of the points I mentioned in our first segment is I hear from more and more salespeople that rapport building can sound forced or not genuine or doesn't feel authentic to them. And I think a big part of the reason that that is for a lot of salespeople is because it feels like a chore or a burden as opposed to genuinely wanting to express an interest in another human being. You know, this human being is not a dollar sign, right? This is a human being. So if you approach them like a dollar sign, then it's going to be tough to build rapport because you genuinely don't care and you're just trying to find out whether you're going to get the sale or you're not. If you treat them like a human being that you'd like to get to know, possibly learn something about, possibly find something interesting and pave the way to deeper, more meaningful conversation, then it's a mindset of wanting to do it and wanting to learn and understand other people. So these logistical questions is what take us down a bad realm and it takes us, it makes us follow a script. And look, I understand you eventually have to ask these logistical questions about the product and service. But you don't have to ask them five or six in a row like they're being interviewed, like you're interviewing someone. You don't have to ask them all at once. They can be interspersed during the discussion. But those are questions. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this. Logistical questions are about you, not about them. Logistical questions are questions you're asking to help shape your sales pitch and to give you a greater chance to make the sale. Now, I know some of you out there are like, well, Mark, that's not true at all. You know, when I ask logistical questions, I'm trying to present a solution, whether it's a service or product-based solution, that suits the customer the best so I don't waste their time and so it really responds to what they want and need. I get that. I get that. But if you prioritize them over what I would call other relationship building questions and make them the priority in the discussion because you only have 20 or 30 minutes and you need to make sure your questions get answered, then I would argue I'm not clear that in a first interaction with a human being that you're prioritizing the right questions or the right process. Now look, rapport building. It's easy if you want it to be easy, but you have to care. And you know what else you have to be? You have to be observant. And you have to slow down enough to take the time to be observant. You know, one of the things I do when I'm training people, whether it's, whether it's virtual or in person, is I'll look what people are wearing. So let's say someone's wearing a a football shirt of a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team. 
Well, I love sports. So I'll just strike up a conversation. It's not forced. I like talking about sports. I like talking about music. I like people. So I, I enjoy this part of building relationships with people. I don't consider it a chore. But some of this is basic. Some of this is just being observant and looking for opportunities to connect with people. Now look, when you're thinking about the sales process, let's take a step back. You should not have one sales process because it's just like having an elevator pitch. An elevator pitch is a scripted response to someone asking you, what do you do for work? Or tell me about yourself. I don't ever want to be scripted because every human being is different. Every human being has different perceptions, expectations, wants, and needs. So I don't ever want to be scripted. I want to be prepared. There's a difference between being prepared and being scripted. And let me explain. Let me model this right? For an elevator pitch, being prepared versus being scripted is knowing a few different ways you could answer the question based on the flow of the conversation and based on the other person you're talking to. That's what I mean about being prepared and being scripted versus being scripted. A sales process, if your sales process, if I'm going to coach you or you're going to train, or I'm going to train your company, or your team, and you tell me, well, Mark, here's our process. The first thing we do is we set up an appointment, we send an introductory email, and then when we get on a preliminary pre when we get on a pre-call, we're going to ask them some questions, right? To understand their wants and needs. And then we have a PowerPoint that we show them that kind of show the, the finer points of the features and benefits of our product. And then we let them ask questions, and then we give them a proposal, and then they review the proposal, and then we have a follow-up meeting, et cetera, et cetera. That's an example of a sales process. Okay? I don't ever want to have a set in stone sales process because you stop paying attention to adapting to the people you're selling to. Perfect example. How about that there's five generations in and out of the workplace? Are you going to sell to a baby boomer, baby boomer the same way you sell to a millennial? Are you going to communicate as frequently the same method of communication, the same follow-up style? Are you going to build rapport on the same topics? No, you're not. You're going to adapt your style and adapt your approach. And the second you get into a set process, you stop being alert and aware to how you need to adapt based on the company you're dealing with, based on the people you're interacting with, based on what's going on in the world environmentally, in the news, in sports, Things are evolving. Things are changing. There is no one set way to do anything. There are best practices. You know, there are strategies that are going to work a lot more often than they're not. But there shouldn't be one set way. You shouldn't have one scripted or set sales process you follow. You need to be alert. You need to be self-aware of what's going on. Now... There's a couple of things I want you to think about before we go into break and in introducing our next segment. One of them is the experience level of the buyer. And this, to me, 
is a great opportunity to build rapport, believe it or not. When you try to understand from the buyer, you know, how familiar are you with this product or service? You know, have you done a lot of due diligence? Have you had other competitors to come in? You know, would it be helpful if I give a little background or educated you a little bit on the, the, the product, on the industry? That's important to know because you're, you're, setting, you're setting the stage in getting to know someone by trying to understand how to meet them. By trying to understand what they need and want from you in this interaction. Sometimes people want to be educated. Sometimes they haven't had time to do the due diligence. Sometimes a project has been dropped on their lap and you're being invited to get them up to speed whether you realize it or not. And then sometimes people don't need any education or at least they think they don't need any education. And they'll tell you, just give me what I need to know like you're an order taker. We talked about this a little bit last week. So part of what I'm doing in rapport building, there's a couple of key questions I'm asking. And one of them, like I said, is to really understand the experience and comfort level of the buyer and how much information and education they want and need from me. So when I come back for our next segment, I'm going to share with you one of the most powerful rapport building and discovery questions you can ask. For Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Kate, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We are talking about rapport building and sales processes and how to adapt your communication style to your client, to their personality, to their company. We're covering a lot of different ground today. And we're talking about questions that can pave the way for building a relationship with someone and learning about the person. And one of my single favorite two-part questions that I almost always ask in the beginning of an interaction, and I don't ask it like this, but I'm just going to present it this way as, as a high-level view, is why us, why now? Because in my mind, I'm thinking that if this person was willing to talk to me, if they've actually allocated the most precious commodity we have time to talk to me why why are they doing that because they could be talking to anybody if you google you know trainers speakers consultants coach you get a hundred list of a hundred people just like that even in even freaking new england for god's sake so why me i want to know why me Why did you make this time for me? And then I want to know, why now? Why did you all of the sudden, out of the blue, agree to talk to me right now? So let's talk about why those are, it's a powerful two-part question, and how it builds rapport. So when you ask someone, so let's pretend I'm interacting with you, and I said, so listen, I really appreciate the time in meeting with today. Um, I was wondering um, why you were willing to meet with, you know, our company or me specifically. Now, the person may have gotten a referral. They may have Googled you online. They may have received an email that kept the company on top of mind that they said, oh, I need to call that company. So it could be a number of reasons. But remember, even if that was the case, they still could could have called anybody or could have called you but they chose you. So why us? 
Now, if I ask that question to someone and they say, well, actually, you know, I talked to John Smith who sat in a training you did last month and they said, you know, wow, Mark's great. Um, you need to talk to him. If nothing else, spend 15 minutes on the phone. You'll have takeaways. You'll learn something from him. Okay? So I asked, why me? He explained to me that he got a referral who was strongly recommended. But that really didn't totally answer the question. And I've talked to you about a concept called happy ears. And happy ears in sales is about when you get the answer you're hoping for and you're excited and... Uh, intent on moving off to the next question as opposed to exploring the answer that was just given. So if someone said that to me, my response might be, well, that's great. Were you in the market for a trainer? You know, what, what was going on? And, and, and have you had a chance to, you know, be clear on what you're actually looking for? So I would ask a follow-up question or two like that to really gauge still why they might have chosen Mindset Go or Mark Altman specifically. Now, let's look at the why now. Think about when someone's willing to talk to you and they've expressed some pain centers and they have kind of shared reasons why it's you and what's going on, but why now? Because most people, when they make a buying decision, not everybody, but most people don't wake up one day and say, you know what? I need to go purchase this product today. You know what? I need to go purchase this service today. It's been a lingering thing. It's something that people have thought about off and on. And now all of a the sudden, they're ready to allocate time to talk to you. It's not coincidence. So if I said, if someone was considering going training, and I said, so what prompted you to take the meeting now? And so let's say the person says, well, we're really seeing some struggles with, uh, with revenue being down or, or leadership team is struggling to get buy-in from, from their teams. So now I said, why now? And they just told me, but they didn't tell me. They told me what the problems were, but they didn't tell me why they want to meet right now about it. So when they share the problems, my response is, so is that something you guys are just realizing? Is it something that has been going on for a long time? What created the sense of urgency to meet right now? And now the answer is, well, our CEO is getting pretty frustrated, you know, with the, with the poor communication and with revenue being down. And he, and, he, and he tasked us to go look for a training solution. Now, for those of you listening to the show, you're sitting there saying to yourself, all right, Mark, well, you got your answer. No, I didn't. And I want you to pay very close attention to this why now. The initial question of why now, I was given pain centers. The follow-up question to why now, I was told because the CEO has tasked them to do it, to find someone like me. But the real why now is the root cause of what's pushing them to do it. So my follow-up question to, well, the CEO is pushing to do it, I would say, well, is that because you guys track you know, leadership performance, employee engagement, productivity, revenue decline, and you're seeing uh, the numbers falling. And what are the consequences that you are seeing to the behavior you're pointing out as a problem? So what I'm looking for, you guys, is if they tell me that 
The sales team isn't performing. The leadership team isn't getting buy-in. All right? And I say, so what's, what are the consequences of that? And they say, well, we're not able to retain good employees. And we're not finding good salespeople. And our employee engagement and productivity numbers are down. Well, now I know the problem. The problem is revenue is suffering. Recruiting is becoming difficult. <clears throat> Excuse me. Revenue is suffering. Recruiting is difficult. Retention is suffering. Now I know the root cause of why now. It's not because they're having initial issues. It's not because the CEO told them to find a solution. It's because their bottom line is being affected in recruiting, retention, engagement, and sales. That's the why now. And so in that rapport building stage, whether you're talking about families or sports or music or how long they've worked at their company or what else they've done in their career or what college they went to, all the different angles you can approach rapport, rapport building or starting rapport building, it's an opportunity to have a curiosity mindset. I want to understand why this is a priority to these people. I want to understand why they think we're the right solution enough to meet with us, right? You can have the greatest rapport and sales presentation in the world, okay? And the presentation ends with the people saying, boy, Mark, I got to tell you, I love your solution. I actually would go as far to say I think it's even the right fit for the company. I'm pretty sure the other decision makers are going to be completely on board. And I end that interaction, I'm on cloud 99. Look at me. Look how great I am. They like me. They like my product. They like my company. They think I can help solve their problems. Every box seemingly is checked in the sales process. I run back to my sales manager and I said, oh, we got this. And not overconfident, but you have your reasons why you're feeling confident. And then the sales, then your sales executive your, your sales VP, your sales manager says to you, gee, sounds great. What's the urgency around this? Like, why do they need to act on this? Uh, well, they, they said they had some problems. But why do they need to act on it right now? Because with COVID and all the changes going on in the workplace and all the struggles po- companies are facing in sales and customer service, you're telling me that your solution, our solution is now at the top of their priority list? That's what you got from the call? Not just that they like you, the company, the problem solving and the solutions, but this is the most important problem this company has going on right now. Oh, geez, when you put it like that, I didn't really think of getting that answer. You see what I'm saying? So this why us, why now, part of your job when you're self-assessing how you do in interactions, right, is to understand why This is an urgent problem. Why your product solves needs, not wants. Why they think you are the best solution relative to every other person they could choose to do this. You've got to know the answers to those questions. We have one more segment. We're going to come back for our final segment. We're going to talk a little bit more about rapport building, and we're going to talk, we're going to end the show today 
by talking about that that feeling of feeling like a number. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be back for our final segment. Back. Okay, welcome back to our final segment of I Communicate. Uh, this is Mark Altman with uh, founder of Mindset Go. And um, big, big priority for me when I work with individuals, teams, organizations is habit change, um, facilitating behavior change, and getting people to apply, getting people motivated, confident, and comfortable to apply what they learned. And so we're talking about rapport building and building relationships today and sales processes. And I want to just read my single favorite quote, and I have a lot of favorite quotes, but this one is probably my single favorite. And, And many of you probably have heard of it. Some may have not. And here's the quote. This is from Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So what does that mean in sales? People will never forget how you made them feel. Well, so did you, did you, did you make them feel like a number? Did you skip relationship building and caring enough about who they are as a person, how they got to their job, what their fears and worries and stresses are in dealing with you and buying a product and doing their job. So people will never get how you forget how you made them feel. And these days, because there's so much noise and so much distractions, heck, most people only remember 10% of what they were told 10 minutes after a conversation anyway. So don't be banking on what you said and don't be banking on what you did. Make people feel good about themselves, about you, about the company. They've got to want to feel good. They've got to feel good. And that's why I really like that quote. And there's nothing, you know, we're getting into holiday season. And there's nothing that I feel disconnected more from companies than when I'm treated like a number. I do not like getting a generic holiday card that says from all of us at such and such company, we wish you a happy holidays because I feel like a number. I feel like you did nothing to personalize your relationship with me and you treated me like every other customer and I don't want to be treated like every other customer. I'm different than every other customer. So I don't like being treated like a number. I don't like generic email blasts that make you feel like a number. And so the question I ask you when you're building relationships with people and you're doing the ongoing building of rapport is what do you do to make people feel good, to make people remember that you you were the one that made them feel good because you didn't treat them like a number? I mean, how many of us have had interactions out in public where you walk by someone, they say, how you doing? And you're like, good, how are you doing? Good. I mean, what a waste of a conversation. It is just so non-authentic. You don't really care. I know it's about being polite and having, you know, being respectful. But at the end of the day, if you're going to ask someone how they're doing, care about the answer. You know, don't check a box. Care. Someone says, I'm like, how you doing? And someone says, geez, I'm doing great. That's good to hear. A lot of people are really struggling. What do you think the key is? Like, why do you think you're doing so well? Or if someone says, I'm not doing that well, I would say, oh, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. I know it's kind of a tough time. What's going on? Care. 
let people like to talk about themselves. People like to feel good. People like to feel like other people care. Right? So look, when you think of how do you make people feel special? How do you how do you make people not feel like a number? Right? How do you make people recognize that you're not like all the rest? You as a salesperson, you're not like every other salesperson they've dealt with. You're not going to fit their biases and preconceptions and judgmental theories that you're going to talk more than you listen. You're going to go right to logistical questions. You're not going to follow up even though you say you're going to follow up. You're going to make it more about your product or service than the concerns, fears, and worries they have. You know? Think about when you buy things, right? Think about when you buy things. Unless it's like, you know, socks or underwear or something, if it's a remotely big-ticket purchase, you may have some fears or concerns about buying those things. Did you ever think that the person you're selling to or the group of people you're selling to, their reputation could be on the line? Because they're going to they're gonna agree to your solution They've believed your ability to influence and motivate them. And they're going to make a commitment. And they're sticking their neck out on the line saying, Mindset Go is the right company. That's a huge responsibility. I take that to heart because I'm affecting people's careers. I'm dealing with HR people. I'm dealing with sales executives. I'm dealing with C-suite leadership team. You know, people, money's being spent. Decisions are being made. And there's a responsibility that goes with that. And so I think really hard about past buying experiences people have. I care very much about what are some rational or irrational fears they may have by pulling the trigger on product or service. And by the way, a perfect example of a rational or irrational fear is the additional work it may take to integrate a solution whether it be a product or service. It could be the effort and time it takes to train on learning something new. Even if you know it's super easy and the customer service team will hold your hand and it just makes so much sense in the world, but they don't know that. They just know it based on your words. So how do you make people feel at ease, relaxed, comfortable, like Maya Angelou remembering the experience you created for them? That's what sales is all about. Trust, confidence, faith. And so you've got to have some emotional intelligence. You've got to have some sales emotional intelligence and understand that you've got to have some self-awareness. You've got to be clear on what the person or decision makings you're talking to are concerned and worried about you got to have the self-control to not follow a script and not follow a process and realize that rapport building is an ongoing process. It may be at the beginning. It may be in the middle. It may be in the end. It may be in all three. It may be at the first four interactions you have with that person. But, but be, be in control of knowing that what might not be the right time in that minute may be an appropriate time and will be an appropriate time after you've added value and they believe you can add value. Motivation. 
It's a lot of people who are really struggling with motivation. That's such a huge aspect of, of sales emotional intelligence. How do you motivate yourself and how do you motivate others? And when I say how do you motivate yourself, I'm saying when chips are down, when you're in a slump, when the last six sales presentations you've made, five of the six have ghosted you even though they said they were going to follow up and set up another meeting. How do you motivate yourself when it feels like people are treating you like crap and people aren't showing integrity and doing what they say they're going to do? And how do you motivate others? That's the whole theme of this show. What are you doing to motivate others? And, and finding connecting points in a relationship and building rapport and understand people's pain and stress and worries and asking the right questions. Not with the focus and emphasis on your selfish logistical questions, asking the right questions that are going to give you a path to a person's heart. Because now you know what are the impediments and obstacles to dealing with them. And last but not least, empathy. Empathy. Understanding that you are not the central thing going on in a prospect or customer's life. You may be at times, but overall you're not. And where you want to be the central component and figure, you're not. And remembering that when people don't do what you think they're going to do or what they tell you they're going to do, and your default reaction is, jerk, loser, they said they were going to do it, they didn't do it. Understand that if you tell yourself that people are out to get you and they're doing something to hurt you personally or maliciously, it's a bad message to give to yourself as opposed to not being narcissistic and not making the focus on you and telling yourself, you know what, they probably aren't doing this because they've got a lot going on at the company. Heck, maybe priorities have changed. Heck, maybe they're out sick or someone in their family is sick and their focus is on that. There could be a hundred reasons. But the whole thing about empathizing and emotional intelligence is really putting someone else first and understanding what's going on and being curious enough to set yourself up to respond and communicate in the most effective way. So that's it for our show. And uh, we covered a lot of ground on a variety of topics. But the bottom line, if you want more information and want to talk to myself, Mark Altman, about um, doing some sales emotional intelligence or sales leadership or general sales training for your company, it's info at mindsetgo.com or 978-793-1159. I look forward to hearing from you. Hope your family, you and your family stay happy, safe, and well. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.